Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly Podcast. If you're in the Orlando area, we hope you're able to join us for one of our services. Please check out faithassembly.org for more information or follow us on social media at faithORL. We hope this message will be an inspiration to help you find all that God has for your life. Enjoy the message. Proverbs chapter 3. We'll start in Proverbs chapter 3, just a foundational verse for today's message. We'll spend most of our time in Romans chapter 11. But Proverbs chapter 3, there's a couple verses in this chapter that are pretty familiar to some. Um, This is what verse 5 says in Proverbs 3. It says, trust in the Lord. I could, if I wanted to, I could take those four words and probably preach for about 45 minutes just on that first four words. But the, the proverb says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Goes on to say, in all of your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. I'm gonna preach today on the thought of living in dependence, in dependence on God. That's what Proverbs uh, chapter three is talking about there, that we, would, that we would, in all of our ways, that we would acknowledge him, that we would trust him, that we would trust the Lord with our life, with our heart, with everything our, we, we are, that we wouldn't lean into our own understandings, which we have the tendency sometimes to do. Uh, and sometimes when we have independence, Sometimes when we have freedom, that freedom, that independence can, can kind of turn into that, where we have the freedom to kind of lean upon our own understanding. We have the freedom to kind of do things our own way. I remember being today, being the 4th of July, one of the 4th, Julys, the 4th of July's in my life that kind of stands out. Uh, I was probably 15 or 16 years old. Um, this would have been uh, one, of the, one of the first 4th of July's where I was probably in a realm in my life where I was experiencing a little bit of freedom, a little bit more independence. Again, being 15, 16, you know, having a car, getting a driver's license, that's the time of life where you kind of start to have a little bit more independence, a little bit more freedom. And um, I was, that afternoon we had some people over to our house uh, celebrating uh, Independence Day. We were shooting off some fireworks, and, and I can remember back now that probably up until that point, certainly years before that, when I would be involved in any kind of fireworks uh, like that, it would be only under a close adult parental supervision. Any parents in the house know what I'm talking about when it comes to the fireworks, it's like close parental supervision. We'll let you like this one little thing, you gotta run away, we're gonna watch and make sure that you don't lose an arm in this process, right? Well, this particular 4th of July, I didn't have close parental supervision because I was at an age where I was starting to have some freedom. I was at an age where I was starting to have some independence. And uh, so I was lighting off different stuff and firecrackers and bottle rockets and flowers. The flowers were those things you lit on the, they spun spun on the ground and with flames and sparks and made a flower. Uh, Jumping jacks, which are the same as a flower, just a little bit smaller. Anybody remember any of these terminologies from the old days? Yeah. And so the jumping jacks, and I had done like a lot of it according to the instructions that were given on the paperwork, but it was time now to really use my freedom, use my independence to really be creative with my life. And so 
I thought, what else could we do? What, a, what else could we do? So we started putting you know, firecrackers in things and seeing what would happen and trying different things. And I, I had a Coke, I remember that day, and I'd finished my, my, my can of Coke, and I still had the can, and I got this idea. I thought, you know what? I wonder what would happen with a, a jumping jack, if, what it would do inside the can. Now pause right now. I'll admit this is not my highest IQ moment in my life, okay? I'm not necessarily proud of this because really at best, I mean, the, the highest point that this could ever turn out would be that the thing just does it inside the can and you can't see it. Like that's, that's as good as it was gonna get, but I don't know why I thought this would be an idea. So I was holding the can and I lit the, the, uh, the, the, the jumping jack and I dropped the jumping jack in the can. And it was supposed to go, zzz, supposed to spin in there, but because the can was so small, it never could get to spinning. And so instead, it just shot a steady stream of molten hot, red hot, blue hot, whatever color is the hottest in your life, just shooting us like a blowtorch, just a, just a flame directly, um, just out of the can, burned through a hole in the can. The story would be fine if it was happened to be aiming like out, you know, like, I could say, man, and I learned my lesson, you know, the easy way. The, that's not how this story ends. No, it was shooting that molten hot, white hot, spark flame blowtorch thing right into my palm. And uh, you know how sometimes something is so hot it feels cold for just a split second? I don't know if anybody's ever experienced that. That was kind of like my first sensation was kind of cold. And so I just kept holding the can thinking, well, that's odd. You know, I don't know. Uh, uh, and so I'm holding it, I'm like, I wonder what's happening in there. And I, it took a while for me to realize what was happening, that the, that the molten hot blowtorch had blown through the can and was now melting the flesh off my, okay, I don't want to get too graphic, but by the time I realized what was happening, I throw the can down, oh, and I was in such agony, it hurt so bad. And I'm telling you, I went from a feeling of, liberty, freedom, and independence. I wanted dependence. I wanted my mommy again. Like I wanted some close parental supervision again. I'll go back and like, mom, <laughs> I need something. Like she'll know what to do. And it, isn't that funny how sometimes, sometimes a little too much freedom, sometimes a little too much independence, can't, we, can, we can learn real quick that with independence and with freedom comes responsibility. Matter of fact, you can't take those two things, you can't take those two things away from each other. Freedom and responsibility are just forever linked. Responsibility is whenever I take account, when I take um, the, the ramifications of my actions. I mean, uh, we, we like to think sometimes I could do something and have somebody else clean up my mess, but that's not responsibility. And I learned real quick on that 4th of July that the best thing that sometimes that we can do with our independence, the best thing we can do with our freedom is say, God, I want your supervision in my life. I want to be dependent on you. I know I could be independent, but instead I choose to live dependent on God. That's what I want to spend a few minutes just talking about is this life of living independence on God. In Romans chapter 11, uh, talks a little bit about that. We'll, we'll look at several verses in Romans chapter 11, but let's start with verse 17 and 18 and watch how Paul begins to talk about what it looks like for us now to be leaning on not our own understanding, but leaning, taking our nourishment from God. Uh, verse 17 and 18, we'll start there. Paul says, if some of the branches 
have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. There Paul's talking about that, right? That, that leaning in, like that's where I'm getting my, my source of life from, not from myself, but from the uh, original root, the original olive root, which would be Jesus. He goes on in verse 18, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. If I had a subtitle for the message, it would be that. The root supports you. Paul says, you don't support the root. And I think Paul said that because he knows the tendency of some of us when we start to get all independent, when we start to get all freedom, when we start to get a little bit full of ourselves, we start to think we're actually doing God a favor by showing up around here. We start to think we're actually doing God a favor. Maybe we, you know, sat in a service and somebody preached something and we thought, you know what, God, I'll do you a favor. I'll give you a chance. I'll give you a 30-day trial. Um, you know, I'll pray a little prayer and we'll see if you can get things straightened out. If you can't, I'm going to bail. I'm telling you now. But you know what? I'll give you a shot. This is what Paul's saying. You don't support the root. Do you know this? That if I didn't exist tomorrow, God's going to still be God. If you don't exist tomorrow, God's still going to keep on being God. You don't support God in his deity and his godness. No, God supports you in your life. And we've got to understand that. That's why we live independence on him. The root supports me. And so the theme of chapter 11 is, is probably more national than it is personal. And, and you'll see why in just a moment. But on this day, the most national day on the, on the calendar uh, for, for this country, um, on this day, I thought, well, let's look at Romans 11 and see what it can teach us about our national and personal independence uh, towards God, living a life of, of dependence uh, towards God. And so a couple truths I'll, I'll pull out of these verses. I'll pull the first one out of verses two through five, but let me just give you the truth first. If you're taking some notes, you can jot this down. But as we think about like what it looks like to live in dependence towards God, know this, this is the truth. Circumstances are rarely as bad as they seem. Circumstances are rarely as bad as they seem. You'll, you'll see what I mean in a moment. Look at this, verse two of Romans 11. Now Paul here is talking about um, a, a, an incident with the prophet Elijah from 1 Kings 19, but Paul's referencing that here in Romans 11. Verse two says this. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. He says, don't you know what scripture says that in the passage about Elijah, again referencing 1 Kings, how Elijah appealed to God against Israel, against his country. Lord, he said, they've killed your prophets, they've torn down your altars, and I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me too. And what was God's answer to him? God's answer was this. I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at this present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. This is what Paul is saying. Paul's referencing this moment in Elijah's life where Elijah fell into the same trap that many Christians and non-Christians alike can fall into very easily. And many of us have fallen into this trap over the last maybe couple of few years. The trap is this. Elijah is there talking to God and he slips into this trap of complaining 
about his country. He's going, God, I don't know if you noticed, but things are a mess down here. Israel is a complete wreck. Israel is completely upside down. Elijah even went on to this. He said, I'm the only one left. I love that prayer. And some of y'all have prayed prayers like that too. You're like, I'm the only one in my family who gets it. I'm the only one in my job who even has a clue. I'm the, we get in the same way nationally. We go, well, I need nobody in the whole country, nobody in the whole world living for Jesus anymore. Like, I'm the only one. We're the only church in the whole nation that's even doing anything right. And when we get in that mindset, it's a trap of the enemy because circumstances are never as bad as they seem. They're just not. It's just that propensity for us, as it was for Elijah, just to go, man, doomsday, this is so bad. Sometimes even we in the church, we look around at the, even, even the, the church maybe, uh, as it's represented in our, in our nation by, by many, many churches who would make up the church, and we go, well, boy, I just don't think things are right. It's, it's kind of just our, it's so easy to fall into that, that natural trap to go, ah, man, I, I don't think things are gonna turn out. Things are really, really bad, and God said to Elijah, you know what? Uh, you may think you're the only one. You may think this entire nation is on its way down, but God said, I have good news for you. I have a remnant. God says, I always had a plan. I, always, I got a group, and they're gonna turn things around. I, I'm telling you, I have a remnant. And when we think about the remnant of, of God, because Paul says God had a remnant then, and Paul says, and God still has a remnant now. That's what we just read. The thing I was thinking about the remnant and what the remnant looks like. I was remembering back uh, a couple, I mean, this would be a few years ago now, probably, uh, probably 15 or more years ago. And it was summertime, so it would have been around this time of year. But we took a, a trip with the youth ministry and we went tubing somewhere in some river up north. I don't remember what we drove to, but it was here in Florida. We went up and, and we went tubing uh, uh, down a river. Most of you might know how that works, but we drove up and they, you get off at a certain spot, they load you in one of their buses, they take you up the current a couple miles, they give you an inner tube, you get in the river, you float down the river, they're waiting for you at some point, you get out, you get into their bus, they take you back to our bus, we come home. That's the plan. All right, we get in the river and when we got in, um, I remember that we had a couple of us leaders in the front of the group of students and a couple leaders in the back of the group of students. And we did that because we wanted to return home with approximately the same number of students that we had left the church with. That was one of our strong policies in the youth ministry at that time. Um, I can't say we were always uh, perfect, but that's a different story for a different sermon. Amen. But on this day, that's why we did that. So we had a couple of us in the front of the group and a couple of us in the back. And we floated down the river and we got to the get out point of the river and I was one of the first ones to arrive at the get out point. And they had signs there and I knew what it was. And I did notice that the current was pretty strong right there. It had kind of it had kind of gotten a little bit faster right there at the get out point. And so I, it took a little bit of effort for me, but I, I was able to get out of the water. And, and uh, then I saw some of our group coming down and I waved and said, here's the spot. And a couple of them were able to kind of work through the current and get out. And then one or two of them kind of started panicking and they just started floating down the river. And uh, I was like, well, now if that happens, we're definitely gonna show up back at church with fewer kids. So I dove in and I grabbed their inner tube and I went against the current, I got them back in. So then a couple of us leaders, as all the students were coming through, we started to have to help kids 
get out of the water. We could kind of tell as they were coming, we could kind of tell and be like, they're probably gonna be okay. That one, we're gonna have to help. We, get, we just started to learn how to spot it, you know? So we get in the water and help. And uh, they'd just be out there floating, just kind of like, you know, carefree, not a care in the world, gonna float right past the, the get out point. We'd have to dive in there, grab the inner tube. And there we were with that inner tube with somebody floating on it that was gonna go down the stream. If we didn't jump in, there we are walking against the current, getting them out of the water. And if you can get a mental image because I felt pretty, I felt pretty good as being a being a lifesaver in that in that day. But if you can get an image of my arm wrapped around that inner tube, walking against the current while somebody on that inner tube is floating, that is a pretty good mental image of what the remnant of God looks like. The remnant of God is somebody who's not getting swept away by every false teaching, by every new fad, by every new uh, majority rule, uh, by every new thought process out there. It's somebody who can stand in the midst of a current, walk against the current, and stand for what they know. And this is the thing about a remnant. God says, it's, it's the reason why I would ask you not to fall in the trap of complaining about your country is this, God says, I still have a remnant. God said, as long as I have a people who still know how to pray, as long as I have a people who still know how to worship, as long as I have a people who still know how to stand for righteousness, as long as I still have a people, then, then we're gonna be okay. And this is the good news. God wants you to be a part of the remnant. Oh, I, I pull that out of there. God wants you to be one of those that knows what you believe in and can stand in the midst of a, a high current taking you the wrong direction. God wants you to be a part of the solution. God also wants you to know this, the majority does not equal morality. That was another good amen point. No, it's true. The majority does not equal morality. You, you gotta understand that as the remnant of God because if you fall into the trap of thinking that once 51% of somebody believes something, once 60% of a group, once 80% of a group, once it seems like everybody believes a certain way, it doesn't mean that God's word has changed on a particular topic. God's word is still the truth. God doesn't give up on people. God doesn't give up on nations. Because Paul said, I mean, uh, you know, uh, he, this, this prayer as, as God is, uh, Elijah's talking to God and God's saying, or Elijah's saying, I don't think there's anybody left. I don't think anything can happen. God says, no, 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 I, I have a plan. I, I, have, I, have a, I have a remnant. Second truth I would want to pull out of this besides um, that circumstances are rarely as bad as they seem would be this. Your potential is more important than your past. Your potential is more important than your past. Um, and I, I wanna read a couple passages, a couple verses from Romans 11. And then I, I, wanna, I wanna share on that thought. But Romans 11, and we'll go verse 11, verse 12, verse 15, and verse 17. Watch for that thought. The contrast between my past and my potential. Watch for it in these verses. Verse 11. Again, I ask you, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, transgression, Paul is talking about the nation of Israel here. Because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles, which would be uh, most of us in this room would fall uh, nationally into this uh, category, uh, Gentiles. Salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. 
But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fruit, will their full inclusion bring? Verse 15, for if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Verse 17, if some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, when Paul says you, guess who he's talking to? He's talking to you, a wild olive shoot, somebody who you were. And I get it that across all of our campuses, everybody looks so good today. Everybody looks so polished. Everybody looks so perfect. Ain't nobody bringing in any kind of big sins in church. Everybody looks so good. But you were wild at one point. And some of you don't even want to own it. You're like, well, I mean, some of these people were, but not me. Yeah, you were. Because if we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. So this is, this is all of our yesterday. He said, you were a wild offshoot. But he says, you've been grafted in among the others, and now you share in the nourishing, nourishing sap from the olive root. We were, we were, we were always destined for this reconciliation with God. It's, it's, it's the potential that we have within us. And Paul's talking here about grafting. And um, I don't know if here in this auditorium, if there is any, uh, any gardeners or any gardeners in the room, Okay, good. Not many. So no one's going to call me out on, um, I'm getting ready to wax eloquent on something I have very little knowledge about, but at least no one can hold me to it. All right, awesome. Let me talk about grafting, being an expert in, in this field. Um, no, I've read a little bit about grafting. Here's the way I think normally it works. Normally they would, uh, a garden would take a, a branch that was uh, bearing some pretty decent fruit but maybe didn't have the root system to keep that uh, production up. And the gardener would find a root system that maybe uh, didn't have that much fruit on it. And the gardener then kind of burrows a hole and grafts this new branch into this existing tree that has a good root system, but it's not producing any fruit. This branch is producing fruit, grafted in, and now the root benefits from this new branch and it can produce even more fruit now. So, so when men graft, men graft to improve the root. When men graft, they do to mend the tree, when men graft. But when God grafts, he does not graft to mend the tree, God grafts to mend the branch. So Paul's version, Paul's description of this engrafting is this, we are a wild offshoot and we're not producing any fruit. If we are producing fruit, we're producing the wrong fruit. And God sees that our past hasn't been what it should be. And God in his mercy grafts us in to the good root that, that is Jesus Christ so that we have the potential now to produce real fruit. We have the potential now to live a life that actually points people in the right direction whereas before the fruit of our life may have been going the wrong direction. The fact of the matter is this, your potential is more important than your past. And I get it that a statement like that is a little bit cliche. I get it that a lot of us go, yeah, yeah, I get it. But also I was praying about this weekend's message and I did feel like that God just paused for a moment and said, wait. And I felt like God whispered to me and just said, there will be people that hear this message this weekend and they need that truth to sink in. That it's not about your past. 
God said there'll be people there who see their life through the lens of their past mistakes and they can't get over it. And God says it's to them that I wanna say, your potential is so much more important than your past. You are worth more to God than your worst mistake. And somebody needs to let that take root. Somebody needs to let God graft you in to the foundation of the truth of his word. And I'm glad, oh, I'm glad I serve a God that makes it about my potential and not about my past mistakes. Because we live in a culture, I mean, you wanna talk about one of the, one of the swift moving currents in this culture is this cancel culture. I mean, our culture loves to jump on, our, our nation at this point loves to jump on people who have made a mistake. And that's, that's what cancel, cancel culture says. Cancel culture says this, if you said something wrong, you're out. You're good for nothing. If you did something wrong, you're out. You can no longer do anything redeeming. You can no longer do anything beneficial. If you, even if you think you might have thought something wrong. You're out, you're, you, you can't accomplish anything positive anymore. And I'm glad that's not the way God works because we can see God's nature all the way through the whole Bible. I mean, you don't even have to go to one little spot, one little verse, you can pretty much slap that baby open anywhere and what you're gonna find is there are some people who made some mistakes and God said, it's not about your past, God said, it's still about the potential that I can do through you. You can go, it's funny, watch this, watch this. Even the very passage that we're in, in Romans 11, Paul tells the story of the prophet Elijah. And the moment that Paul is talking about Elijah is probably one of Elijah's most lowest moments. I mean, Elijah did, he did unprecedented things with God. God did unprecedented things through him up at that point in history. I mean, Elijah is some incredible miracles. I mean, mind-blowing miracles. And yet the moment that Paul talks about Elijah... Elijah's literally huddled up in a cave, complaining to God about his country, suicidal, literally praying that he would die. And Paul uses this moment in Elijah's life, and we know that that was not the end of Elijah. We know that even though Elijah made a mistake, God still used him in great ways. You can keep going through, through different spots of the word of God. You can look at Moses, who was a murderer, and God says, it's not about your past, though. It's about what I'm gonna use you to do. You can look at David who was a, a fornicator and, and deceptive and made all kinds of mistakes and yet God says, no, he's a man after my own heart because it's about his potential, not his past. Even Paul who writes Romans chapter 11, you wanna talk about being canceled. He was a Christian killer and so the cancer culture would say, you can't be a Christian evangelist, you were a Christian killer. But God says it's not about the past, it's about the potential. Even nationally it was that way. Israel. Israel made all kinds of mistakes. And in these verses that we just read, Paul said, does that mean Israel is canceled out because they made a mistake? Does that mean they can't come back? And Paul says, absolutely not. No, God is turning it around and they will reach their potential in him at some point. And I would say nationally, that still is true even for our country. Because I know we can look back on our country and go, yeah, but there were some grave mistakes made. There were some bad apples at different times who were in places of leadership and authority and they made some horrible decisions. And guess what? You can say that about every country in the, in the world. But it doesn't disqualify us from saying we could reach our potential in God if the remnant lives the way the remnant is called to live. Then I choose to believe in my potential. 
So nationally, yes, but also individually. I bet you're thankful for your family that sees your potential instead of just your past. I bet you've not always been perfect in every single dealing with your family, and yet they still celebrate you at times, don't they? That's why on a day like today, it's like the, it's the, it's the birthday of the country. I, I think we can still celebrate that there's some great potential that we could accomplish as a country. I'm thankful for that, and I mean, I'm not always been, I'm not always been perfect you know, in my family, almost, but not always, not always been perfect. No, not even close. Yet a, last month I had a birthday, and my family wanted to celebrate me on my birthday, even though they know I'm not perfect. I was, I was remembering back to one of the times, one of the many that I was not perfect. My youngest son, fierce competitor, and when he used to play, he still plays baseball a lot, but he, when he was younger, he would lose his cool almost every single game. Just, if it just didn't go perfect, it just would lose his cool. We tried everything. We tried every single angle we could to try to just get that out of him and let, this is one game, it's not that big in the world and all. We would try to talk and different things and reward. And we just tried everything and nothing would work. And I remember one game, he lost his cool again. And I was so over it. And we get in the car and I start to once again try to explain to him the importance of not losing your cool. And as I'm trying to explain to him the importance of not losing your cool, I start losing my cool. And I sense the irony in the moment. I sense the hypocrisy in the moment. I actually thought, I wonder if he senses the hypocrisy of this at his young age. And even though I made mistakes like that, there's still people in my life that see me for my potential instead of my past. I bet you're thankful for that. Well, let's extend that same grace to those in our life. Let's extend that same grace to our nation that we live in. And I'll just end with this truth out of these verses. Because I like what Paul says in verse 13 of Romans 11. He says, I'm talking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. And I like what Paul says here. He says, I take pride in this ministry. Paul says, I take pride in my ministry to the Gentiles. The, the truth is we think about living what it looks like to live depending on God. I think the truth would be this. We can be proud without being prideful and arrogant. We can be proud without being prideful and arrogant. I like that Paul said, I'm proud of what God's doing amongst the Gentiles. And I'll kind of I'll tag right onto that. I'm proud of what God's doing amongst you Gentiles. I'm proud of what God's doing in your life. I'm proud of what God's doing in this church. I'm proud of what God's doing in this country. I'm proud of what God's doing all over the world. I'm proud of what God is doing and I'm proud to be a part of what God is doing. I'm even, I can even look back and be proud nationally that there is at least some evidence that this country was founded on biblical values. And there's been different people throughout history who have recognized that and seen that. And I just want to read a couple of quotes. And, and again, these are from people that aren't perfect. That's the whole point. But one former chief justice, I think he was at one time the governor of California. His name was Earl Warren. This is what he said about this country. He said, I believe that, that no one can read the history of our country without realizing that the good book, talking about the Bible, that the good book and the spirit of our Savior have from the beginning been our guiding genius. 
I'm thankful for the fact that on July 11th, 1955, Dwight D. Eisenhower signed a law making it mandatory that all of our currency be ascribed with one phrase that would separate us from all other countries. In God we trust. As a country on that, we're just, and look, I get it. Yeah. I get it that you can look around and go, well, I don't think that's happening. I know, I know you can complain about our country, but I'm just, I'm just thankful that at least somewhere, at least across that currency, it just says, you know what? We're putting our dependence on him. We're choosing not to try to do this in and of our own strength. I like that because of what Proverbs 14:34 says. I like the way the message translation says it. It says, God devotion makes a country strong. Oh, that's why the remnant is so important because God devotion makes a country strong, but God avoidance leaves people weak. And as we think about trying to have a little bit of thankfulness for what God's doing around us, it's important to realize the difference between understanding that there are some exceptional things about this country. And I think for anybody to try to get up and argue that there's nothing exceptional about this country, that'd be a foolish stance to take. Obviously, there are exceptional things about this country. One of the things that we debate around here and talk about, not around here, but in this country, um, debate and, and have issue with and talk through and try to figure out is the, is the thought of immigration with an I, of people wanting to come in. You don't hear a lot of talk about emigration with an E. You don't hear that many discussions and, 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 and talking points and arguments about emigration with an E, which would mean this, that people want to get out of here. No, it's, it's a lot about people wanting to come in. Why? Because there are some exceptional things about this country. And you can recognize that and you can thank God for that without having a spirit of exceptionalism. And a spirit of exceptionalism says this. Well, we're, God's, God's, you know, we're his favorite nation. And this is the only nation. And this is the only place God's moving. And if without us, the whole world. Like, that's exceptionalism. A few moments ago in the service, we, we received an offering for world missions. Why? Because we, because we believe God is moving all over the world. And if God uses us to do it, so be it. Amen. Verse 18 of, of, of Romans 11. Paul says, don't consider yourself to be superior. To those other branches, if you do, consider this. You don't support the root, the root supports you. Verse 20, he says, don't be arrogant, but tremble instead. And let me, let me end with a, uh, I'm going to read a, a, a part of a speech that um, a man gave on the greatness of America. Again, this man was not perfect, had some, had some, some errors and shortcomings in his life. His name is Henry Grady, but he said some truth in this speech that he was giving on, on, on America. I want to I read it so that I get the wording right. He said, I've stood by the Hampton Roads in Chesapeake Bay and I saw there deployed the great naval strength of America. And then on the shore, the parading might of our armies. And as I looked at the Navy and as I looked at the army, I said, surely the strength of America is to be found in its military and naval might. The great order said, he stood under the dome of the Capitol building in Washington, DC. And as he watched the processes of democracy, he said, surely the greatness of America is to be found in its Senate, in its Congresses, and in its legislative process. Then he said, sometime later, I was the guest in a 
Georgia home in a farm of an old friend that I knew from boyhood days. And at the end of the day, when the work was done, he gathered his family around him, opened God's holy word, and after reading from God's Bible, the family knelt in prayer. And the great orator said, as I knelt with my old friend and his family in the circle of that evening prayer, the great armies and navies of America faded away. The Capitol building with its Senate and Congress, it faded away. And there came to my heart the conviction that the strength of America is actually found in its godly people. And that is still true today. The strength of this country will be found in a remnant that says, I still choose to believe who God is and what God wants to use me to accomplish. Let me read one more verse out of Romans 11. I'm gonna switch to the New Living Translation for this, but it's verse 22. It might mess with your theology a little bit. Romans 11:22, Paul says, notice how God is both kind and severe. He is severe towards those who disobeyed, but he's kind if you continue to trust in his kindness. Hmm, that's interesting. That God could be both kind and severe, same God, but different receptions of God. Both kind, like I said, it messes with some of our theology. And uh, what is the difference there? It's, it's whether or not I'm trusting. He said he's severe to those that are, that are kind of doing their own thing. They're disobeying his word, but, he's, but he shows himself kind to those who have decided to say, God, I trust not in my own understanding, but with all of my heart, with everything I am, I trust in you. I lean not on my own understanding. I want to acknowledge you, and those people find God to be kind. Same God, yet received differently. Earlier in Romans 11, they referenced the nation of Israel, and they say that their table became a snare. It's like what was meant to be a blessing ends up being a burden on them. Like take that, that small little fire that took place up in that media room battery charger explodes there is some level of a fire going on and then the sprinkler head kicks on and puts the fire out very very quickly and the sprinkler head just pours water water gallons gallons of water and it would be easy for us to start to be angry about the water oh my gosh it's been so hard to clean up all the water Oh my gosh, there's been water everywhere and it ruins equipment. The water, well, fire didn't ruin any, any equipment. The water ruined the equipment. So easy for us to see that water as a burden when the water was actually all along a blessing. Because if it hadn't been for the water, we wouldn't be meeting in this room right now. This whole thing could have burned down. Isn't that the same that some of us live a life where we're burning down our own life with the decisions we make and we look at the Word of God and we see it as a burden instead of a blessing. When God's going, if you will submit, if you'll take all that freedom, all that liberty, all that independence that you have, if you'll give that to me and live according to my Word, oh, it'll be a blessing to your life. 
But no, too many of us see it as a burden. We go, I don't want to hear a bunch of rules. I don't want anybody telling me how to live. But just know, that kind of life often leads to a fire. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. Thank you for joining us in pursuit of growing closer to Christ. Stay tuned for more messages released every week. God bless.